Well, good morning, everybody. Um, we are continuing our journey through the first five books of the Bible, um, so from uh, through the, the Torah. Now, some of you guys will have been reading along with this in your immersed groups, and if you're still going with that, well done. Um, I have to say, this week is going to get a little bit more difficult, uh, because this week you dive into the world of Leviticus, uh, which is not everyone's favorite book in the world, um, if I'm being completely honest. It's going to be a bit of a hard read if you are going to read it. It has got some really awesome stuff in it. It's got some really vivid imagery. It's got some elaborate rituals that happen and some cool artwork that's created. But unless you are a, you know, expert in ancient Jewish archaeology, and is anyone here an expert in ancient Jewish archaeology? Okay, that's good, because this is pitched at not those guys. Um, so that's good. Um, but unless you are an expert, it might be a bit weird if you're reading along with it. However, we're going to look at just a small snippet of Leviticus today, um, and hopefully we can understand just that little bit together as we go through it, okay? But before we dive into that, I would like to spend just a moment talking about the concept of a Sunday afternoon movie. Um, does anyone here have a sort of movie that you like to watch on a Sunday afternoon, and it's just perfect for that time? Okay, it's, it's the sort of thing I'm talking about is something that isn't too dark, it isn't too scary, it isn't too intense. Um, instead, it should be lighthearted, it should be good fun, it should be uplifting, some sort of adventure movie. The sort of movie that Follow likes to watch, that makes you smile and isn't too difficult to follow. Uh, particularly good for a Sunday afternoon, because you might fall asleep after lunch. That's the sort of movie we're talking about, sort of Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle featuring The Rock. Okay, that sort of thing is a good afternoon movie. But recently, Farah and I decided to watch something that we thought was going to be a good Sunday afternoon movie. And in many ways, it is. In fact, this movie is often voted one of the best of all time. I think it was, we did a vote, there was uh, 10 movies that came at the top of all time, and this was the seventh, okay? And we thought it would be a good Sunday afternoon movie, but I had a big problem with it, okay? So a quick show of hands here. Who likes... Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah? You're all wrong, okay? Because I watched it, and as a child, I loved it. Okay, great. Full of action, comedy, good fun, but there's a problem with it, and it's something that I take really personally, and it's one problem that constantly goes on. Indiana Jones is an archaeologist, okay? But he keeps getting facts about history wrong throughout the entire film, okay? He just says things, and he's like, oh, yeah, he's a professor of history. He's wrong. Okay? He's just getting, he's like, like 400 years out with some of his dates. Okay? It's really frustrating. For instance, he completely screws up the dating of the Babylonian exile of the Jewish people, saying it happens in 937 BC. It doesn't. That's about 300 years too early. Okay? He blamed the loss of the Ark of the Covenant on the Egyptians, not the Babylonian Empire, which is just lazy and was purely an excuse to go to Cairo for filming. Okay? And that's just not very good. So I could not watch that you know, again because it was just unforgivable. Okay? Now, I'm sure that some of you guys think, does that really matter? Yes. He's an archaeologist. Okay? It's a movie, but archaeology, you don't get a lot of those. Okay? Sorry, I'm taking this personally. However, there is one part of the film that I would like to compliment. Okay? There is one part of the film that gets something right, but weirdly, it's something in the background. Okay? They don't mention it, it's not pointed out, you can barely see it in a film, but there is a detail they get right. So I'm going to show you a movie clip, so it's just two minutes from that film, 
just enough to get us copyrighted on YouTube, okay? And it's going to have something in the background that I want you to notice, okay? I want you to notice the guy at the back wearing the weird hat, okay? I'll see if you can find him. Do you want to play that, uh, that for me? So that, yeah, I cut off before the scary bit, Adrian, okay? There are, you know, kids come here. Um, yeah, so that is the opening of the Ark of the Covenant. So the archaeologists have been racing with some Nazis and some Americans, and they're, they're racing to find it. And the Nazis open up the Ark of the Covenant, and things start to go south from there. If you watch the rest of that scene, it's you know, not appropriate necessarily to show on a Sunday morning because it's a little bit scary and there's ghosts and stuff. But the, there was a guy with a weird hat in it, would you all agree? Yeah. Um, and that guy is a pretty good attempt to show what the, an actual Jewish high priest would have worn, okay? And that's probably because that movie was directed by Steven Spielberg, who is a Jew, okay? So he did quite a good job at showing the Ark of the Covenant and actually the actual details involved. But that is a really good attempt to show what an ancient Jewish high priest wore. And that is what we're going to be focusing on today. We're going to be looking at the uniform that was worn by high priests in the Old Testament. Okay? So, could you show us that again, please? So here is a zoom in, and it's made a bit lighter, of what the high priest wore. So you can see, he's got his, kind of his, his, his staff there, he's got a hat, which does have a medallion on it, which you can't quite see, um, and he's got a breastplate there. Can you, you can just about make that out. And that is a breastplate with 12 stones on it. That will be important later on. Thanks, Sean. So let me read to you Leviticus 8, verses 1 to 9, and it will show you the bit in the Old Testament where it describes those clothes, okay? So Leviticus 8, verses 1 to 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron and his sons, along with their sacred garments, the anointing oil, the bull for the sin offering, the two rams and the basket of bread made without yeast, and call the entire community of Israel together at the entrance of the tabernacle. So Moses followed the Lord's instructions, and the whole community assembled at the tabernacle entrance. Moses announced to them, this is what the Lord has commanded us to do. Then he presented Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. He put the official tunic on Aaron and tied the sash around his waist. He dressed him in the robe, in the robe placed the ephod on him, and attached the ephod securely with its decorative sash. Then Moses placed the chest piece on Aaron and put the Urim and the Thummim inside it. He placed the turban on Aaron's head and attached the gold medallion, the badge of holiness, to the front of the turban, just as the Lord had commanded him. Just go back a couple of slides there and just show that again. That is roughly what's just been described here. You can't see everything because it's an action movie and there's like some things in the way. But that's the best shot, which kind of shows the sort of thing I just described. Okay? Now, you can take that off now, Sean, if you want. Um, the stuff from Leviticus is pretty much the same as what you saw in that film. And in those verses, in Leviticus 8, 1 to 9, we see the appointment of Aaron as high priest. It tells us about how he had to wash himself so he was ceremonially clean, and it tells us how he had to put on a uniform. Just like we often have to wear uniforms to do a job, so did Aaron. He had to put on the uniform of the high priest. And this uniform had lots of elaborate symbols and things attached to it. It was full of pomp and circumstance. And it looks a little bit alien to us today. Right? And that is the case for a lot of stuff in the Old Testament. 
There are lots of rituals and there are lots of symbols that just seem a little bit weird. And that's because in the Old Testament, rituals and symbols and clothes and objects are all there to tell us something. They're all there to act out something, to visually represent a truth. And the exact same thing is true of what Aaron was wearing. Okay? In other words, the clothes that Aaron was wearing was about telling people what his job was. And we're going to look at what his job was in the Old Testament and what his clothes tell us about that. His clothes show us that he was meant to be a representative of the people of Israel. Okay? And we know that because he had that breastplate. There were 12 stones in it. Each one of those 12 stones had a name written on them. You couldn't make that out in the film. I'm not sure if the costume designer did that amount of detail. But they had a name on them. And that name was the name of one of the tribes of the Israel. So there were 12 tribes of Israel, 12 names and 12 stones. And that meant that the high priest was meant to represent the entirety of the people of Israel. And he was meant to go into the tabernacle, he was meant to go into the priest, into the temple eventually, and he was, he was to appear before God, and he was to carry the people with him. He was to be their representative. They couldn't go in there themselves, they weren't washed clean like he was, but he could go in there, and he was to represent them before God. He carried their names into the presence of God because they couldn't go themselves. That is the role of a priest in the Old Testament, and that is an important thing to remember what we're going to chat about later. But before we go a bit more into some intense theology, I would like to play a game of Spot the Difference, okay, just to wake you all up. Um, I'm going to put two pictures up on the screen. Uh, one, and Sean's laughing because he knows what's coming, uh, one is of an Old Testament religious leader, and one is of a modern-day religious leader. So could you please put them up on the screen? Okay. You're wearing the same jumper, Stuart. <laughs> This is one of my wedding photos, by the way, just, just saying. Excellent photography. Um, so we have an Old Testament one, so that's another drawing of the high priest. And we have a modern-day church leader. So I want you to take two minutes to discuss with the person next to you two questions. Okay? Question one, um, who's better dressed? Okay. Which one of them do you think dressed better? And two, why doesn't Stuart wear the stuff the Old Testament guy wore? Why do people in the modern day not wear the old stuff anymore? And it's not just fashion choice, okay? So if you two minutes, obviously the most important question is who's better dressed, but see if you can get the other one as well. So if you two minutes, answer that question. Right, so two pictures there and two questions. Who is better dressed and why are they dressed differently? Okay, so first of all, let's start off with a show of hands. Who here thinks that Stuart is better dressed than the Old Testament high priest? Okay. Cool. Stuart didn't put his hand up. Who here thinks the high priest is better dressed? Oh, that is the winner. Including Stuart. Oliver is a lovely jumper. Okay, lovely jumper. Yeah. Um, actually, I only noticed, noticed when looking through my wedding photos for this photo that you actually changed in between the service and the reception. Yeah. And you did look... You look I think you look pretty better during the service, if I'm honest. Yeah. <laughs> But unfortunately, there wasn't a good, clear photo of you for me to crop, so yeah, sorry. Um, but yeah, so, they're wearing different things. People generally think the high priest looks better. There's a bit more pomp and circumstance there. Now, why are they dressed differently? 
Does anyone know the answer? Why are they dressed differently? I feel like Derek did. I heard some good words coming out of his mouth when I was standing over there. He can't afford it. That's good. And it's worth noting, nor could the high priest. It was all donated to him by the people. One's a Jew, that was a Christian, so they might dress differently, yeah? Derek, do you have an answer? Absolutely. I mean, I can skip the next bit, actually. Yeah, that's, that's exactly, because we're about to go to Hebrews, okay? We're about to look at the book of Hebrews. Um, but the most important thing to remember is that Stuart is not dressed like the high priest because the high priest wore those clothes to symbolize their role. They were a representative of the people before God because the people couldn't come before God themselves. That's what the high priest does, okay? Stuart does not have that role, okay? That is not Stuart's role. That is not the role of any of the leaders here, of any church leader that you come across, or any leader of any organization. We are not priests, so we don't dress like it, okay? Uh, well, we are priests, but we're not high priests, yeah. Um, things have changed, okay? The old high priesthood has changed. And when Stuart stands up here, when anyone else does, they don't stand up here as your high priest, okay? And therefore, we don't dress like it. In the New Testament world, after the arrival of Jesus, the high priesthood does continue, but it changes. There's a change. In Hebrews, 14, uh, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, we read why it has changed. It says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. This passage, along with lots of others in the book of Hebrews, explains that we do have a high priest, but that high priest is Jesus Christ. And much of the Old Testament is full of ritual and symbols and themes and stories, but actually just there to point the way to the true high priest, Jesus Christ. The Old Testament high priest was just a dude wearing some clothes. But he symbolized something. He symbolized that someone needed to go and represent the people before God. And that is now the role that Jesus Christ takes for us. Just as the high priest was able to represent those Israelites by going into the tabernacle or the temple before God and taking their names with them, so Jesus is able to represent us now and to enter heaven on our behalf and go before his father, God. And he carries our names with him in the same way. He doesn't necessarily wear all the same stuff, but he carries us with him. He is our, on his hands, yeah, he is our high priest. But he's not just an ordinary high priest. In fact, I would go as far to say he is a, an amazing upgrade, Okay. Why? Why is he such a great high priest? Because he is a representative of us who stands before the Father who fully understands what it means to both God and human. Okay? No one else can do that. And Jesus, though he is God, though he is in his very essence God, lived on this earth as a man. And that means he knows what it means to be a human. We have a representative in heaven, someone standing and talking on our behalf, who understands our weaknesses, who understands our pain, who understands our suffering, who understands those things that we go through that we just think no one else will be able to understand. Because he lived them. He lived 
on earth. He lost friends. He died a terrible death. He faced poverty and suffering. He lost family members. He lived as a human. And he can give a voice to our fears and our worries and our prayers before God because he is a good high priest who has compassion on us and understands us. But it gets even better than that as well because he is by far and away the greatest high priest you could ever have. He's a huge upgrade from the old high priest because back in the old, old system, right, the high priest entered by himself into the presence of God and no one else could come with him. But that's not how it works with Jesus. As Derek hinted at earlier, we're all priests because he is our high priest, but he invites us into the presence of God with him in a way that never happened in the Old Testament. It says in Hebrews that we should come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Jesus invites us to come with him to meet God. Just as the uh, high priest had to be washed clean in the Old Testament, so Jesus washes us clean so that we can stand before our God. We stand beside Jesus and he brings us into God's presence. Now, if any of that seems a bit technical or you're new to some of these ideas, that's okay. Just remember this principle here. Jesus is our high priest. He represents us before God and he takes our pains, our worries, and our sufferings into God's presence and lays them before him. Okay? Now, up until this point, we have stayed a little bit in the realm of theory, okay? Because this is nice stuff to know. It can be quite comforting, but it is still quite theoretical. But this does actually have an impact on your day today, okay? Everything in the Bible has an application today, even if it doesn't necessarily look the same way, okay? Leviticus 8 has an application today, but it doesn't mean that you should wear fancy gear, okay? Because we interpret it through the New Testament. And it has an, has an interpretation that should affect how you live today. Now listen carefully to this because it is incredibly important. I cannot stress this enough. If Christ is your high priest, no one else can be. Okay? If Christ is your high priest, then no one else can be. If Christ is your high priest, don't let any man tell you that they are your high priest. Let no one pretend that they are the conduit through which you can find God, okay? Let no one else pretend that through them, by following them, you can get closer to God. Let no one pretend that they are some holy person who has some elite hotline for VIPs only to God that you just don't have access to. That doesn't exist. Our high priest is Christ, and he makes the rest of us his priesthood, okay? That's it. There's no intermediaries there. It's Christ is our high priest, and we are his priesthood. Okay? No one can be as good as him. No one can understand our suffering like he can. No one else can bring us into God's presence like he can. No one is both God and man like he is. Now, the reason I say this is because I think we often make the mistake of Christian celebrity. Okay? We make the mistake of gathering around so-called super-spiritual, holy people who we think have some greater access to God than we do. And that's not something that's unique to any particular church. Like, we all do it. We all have Christian celebrities we look up to and go, huh, that person has a hotline to God. Okay, I want to follow them, I want to listen to them. 
as a, as a young Christian, I had many Christian leaders that I looked up to, people who were heroes in youth ministry or in student evangelism. Okay? These are people who I thought knew so much. These are people who seemed touched by God's Holy Spirit, who seemed to be wise, who seemed to know their Bible. Okay? People followed them, and I followed them. What they said was what I believed. How they interpreted the passage was how I interpreted the passage. What they said was the right thing to do was what I thought was the right thing to do because I thought they knew God better than I did. I thought they knew their Bible better than I did. Perhaps that has happened to you. Perhaps you have been a follower of a, of a Christian leader to the point where you thought, wow, this person just knows God better than me. But I think when we do that, we sometimes fall into the mistake of making those people our high priests thinking that because they are holier than us or because they know their Bible better than us, that they are our spiritual leader, we follow them and they follow God and that's how it works. Okay? They are the conduit to which we find God. But that is not true. The Old Testament high priesthood is gone and we have a high priest in Christ. Never put anyone into the position of high priest who isn't Christ because if you do, they will fail you. And they will fail you bad. And I know because they failed me, and I'm sure many of you can think of Christian leaders who have failed you. But of course that happened. That's not surprising. That's not weird. They're ordinary human beings. They're sinners just like us. We shouldn't be surprised when they let us down. But because we make them our high priests, we become devastated when they fall or when they do something stupid or where they, they embarrass themselves in public or something like that because it feels like our journey to God, our way to God has been cut off. All this great avenue of truth or wisdom is gone. And it can be devastating. But the fact is that only one person is actually good enough to be a true great high priest. Only one person is good enough to both understand you and never fail you, to be both human and God. Only one person can truly represent you before God, and only one person brings you into God's presence, and that is Christ. The church does need human leaders. It needs elders, okay? It needs people to shepherd it and guide it. Okay? It needs preachers. But never, ever think that the leaders of this church or any other, or the preachers of this church or any other, are your high priests, are your conduit to God. They are just fellow travelers with you. They might be further down the line. They might have wisdom to share with you. But they're not some perfect, infallible person. Even if sometimes they're prone to think it. Okay? They will never connect you with God like Christ can. So please, I beg you, do not follow Christian leaders like you follow Christ. Journey with them. Okay? Walk beside them, but look to God with them. In all things, follow Christ and come to the high priest who will not fail you. Come to the high priest who is compassionate and who holds his hand out to you. Come to the high priest who truly understands you and who can make you holy and carry you into God's presence. And let's follow him together. Okay? Now, just before we finish, I think it would be good for us to share something with each other. So a question's going to come up there. I wonder, has anyone here ever been let down by a Christian leader? I think it's something we don't talk about enough in the church. But it does happen. We could be let down by Christian leaders. And how did that affect your work with God? Okay, so share those things with the person next to you. I'm not going to ask anyone to share that with me. Um, and you don't have to share anything you don't feel comfortable sharing. But if you'd like to share a story, this is the time to do it. I'll give you just a minute or two minutes to do that. Okay? Okay, dokes.
Now, when it comes to Christian leaders or church leaders failing us, that is a very big topic. Um, and I would encourage you to continue to share your stories. But if there is anything that um, you would like prayer about or anything you're struggling with, then please feel free to talk to, to me or any of the uh, other uh, leaders who are here today. Not because we are perfect or we are high priesty, but maybe we can listen and pray with you. Okay? Um, would the band like to, to come back up? Uh, thank you. Um, I'm going to spend just a moment just praying for us because this is a topic where there is pain. Each of us, I think, probably have at some point raised someone up to the position of high priest and been let down by them. Sometimes just a little bit, sometimes quite a lot. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have given us your son. And we thank you that even now your son stands before you and brings this prayer to you. Thank you that we can, we can pray through Christ to you. Oh Lord, there is so much pain in the church because leaders have been put in positions they shouldn't be in. There are so many humans that we've raised up to the same standard as your son when we shouldn't have. So I pray for two things. One, I pray that we might not make that mistake again. But also I pray that you might heal us from the mistakes we made in the past. Lord, heal us of what other people have done of the pain that exists in our churches across the land. And Lord, may you remember all things, in all things that your Son is good and that, Jesus, you hear our prayers. You understand our sufferings. You know what it is to be weak and to be full of pain and to have everyone abandon you. And there is nothing that we can suffer that you do not know about or can't represent faithfully before your Father. Lord, comfort us and give us the strength to continue knowing that you understand our pain. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.